Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by teaching pastor Clayton Keenan and executive pastor Eric Ferris. Guys, did you know that the Bible Savvy Podcast is four months old? Four months old. Whoa! I need to get my sound effects ready. Celebratory Celebratory noises! (laughs) Four months old. Wow. It has been a a very fun four months for us. Did you want to do celebratory noises? I I don't have my sound effects. Okay, later. I I was just going to say that I guess we're no longer infantile, right? That we moved into like toddler phase? (laughs) Toddler, I I guess. Four months? I don't know. When do you go from infant to toddler? Uh, It's it's older than that. You got to be able to toddle, right? Like you that's a verb. Like, like, isn't that isn't that when they're like waddling, wandering around, like they're getting up on their on their feet? You is that why I, they call it a toddler? That's that's what I I, I, don't, I always Google thought. it, Eric. He's known for Google things. Right. I don't know if that's well. A verb it it or not. has been a fun four months for the three of us, and we have been uh, hearing uh, a lot of you email us about how helpful the podcast has been. Um, so thank you for reaching out to us. But on top of the emails, it was pretty exciting, um, guys. We got our very first actual written review on iTunes. Nice. And we want to say thank you to the person who left us that review. Their username is, I'm, I'm going to try to get this right, Betka or Betke. I don't know. So as a, as a gift, we actually have an NIV study Bible what? that we would love to give you. Awesome. Celebratory wow, noises. Celebratory That's right. noises. Why do you not there have this go. ready? I, I didn't know you were going to do that. <laughs> Nobody told me pre-podcast. You had one job, that, Eric. That, it wasn't my job. Listen, everybody out there, it was not my job. They did not tell me that we were giving things away or I should be ready with sound effects. Now, Jay, Jay Betka, if, if you already have an NIV study Bible, you it could be a good gift for someone else in your life that could use it. So when you hear this episode, please email the show at podcast. Yeah, hey, there, there we, we go, go. There we yeah, go. There you go. Poorly timed sound effects. <laughs> it works. It works. Email the show at podcast at biblesavvy.com and we will get you that NAV study Bible. Now, for everyone else out there, if you find these conversations helpful and you want this podcast to help others, then please, please, please go leave a written review on iTunes. And what that does is it helps bring more visibility so that more people can find the podcast. I bet somebody could listen to this episode of the podcast Mm -hmm. and write the review at the same time. It's possible that someone could do two things at one time. So maybe our listeners right now could... could As as long as you're not also driving while you listen. Mm. That's a good point, Clayton. (laughs) I am right now putting my review on iTunes. There you go. There you go. Okay. So, and and here's the fun thing. Every to... month, we might actually pull a random reviewer username and give away more helpful resources. Okay. What are you guys think about that? I'm saying we, awesome. I'm saying we might, but we actually will. Bible Savvy Podcast Review. Nikki is a good host, and Clayton is okay, but I'm pretty sure Ferris carries the entire production. There, there you go. There you go. All right. Well, Eric, Eric has uh, <laughs> okay. the Eric podcast. Eric has spoken. Let's get to the passage. Clayton, what are we reading today? All right. We are in the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 21. We're just going to do a couple of verses here at the beginning. Let me give some context for it. Uh, the, the book of Exodus is a pretty famous set of stories in the Bible, but the thing is most people only know about the first half. So uh, the first 18 chapters are all the really exciting stuff that we've just read about uh, you know Moses being rescued from the river and the plagues and the burning bush and you know the Red Sea and all this stuff. And God's people are set free from slavery 
And then they go and they walk across the desert and they go to Mount Sinai where they meet with God. And that's where the movie ends. You know, Charlton Heston comes down, you get 10 commandments and that's it. What most people don't do is continue reading the second half of the book because frankly, it's really difficult. Uh, and so the reason that's difficult is because it is a section that kind of shifts genre. So it shifts from being narrative stories into being laws. And laws are challenging for us for a number of reason, uh, reasons. Uh, one, because they're, they're ancient and they're set in a cultural context that's different from ours. Um, but also because sometimes uh, they poke at things that we're, we're just not sure what to do with. They, they uh, address things in ways that we, as modern readers, uh, feel uncomfortable with. And this is one of those sections that we're going to be looking at today where, um, where that happens. Now, uh, let me explain why God gave the law here. Um, these are uh, rules to give these newly freed slaves a picture of what life with God looks like. And so he is addressing them in their situation, their cultural context, and saying, if you follow me, if you love me and you love the people around you, here are some of the ways that's going to play out in how your society works. And so it's addressing those issues uh, to give these new slaves a, a, a vision of uh, what this nation they're becoming might actually look like. And so uh, we're going to look at this. It, I think it's going to challenge us at first, but hopefully we can uh, get underneath that and, and start to see why God would give these laws. Eric, you want to read it to us? All right, Exodus chapter 21, verses, we're going to go through verse 11. These are the laws you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone, but if he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master and only the man shall go free. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. If a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as male servants do. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. Wow, you picked a real doozy of a text. Yeah, so we we picked uh, passages uh, based on what we think would be, uh, most people would be reading and saying, I need some help with this. And I read this and I said, I need some help with this. So I figured I'd bring it to Eric and Nikki and they'd solve the problems. But let, let's start with uh, the O in comma uh, and make some observations. Let, let, let's just start with kind of the big overarching observations you have. What do you think of this passage? This is a tough passage. Uh, in, in this part of the story, God's people have just been freed from slavery or servitude in, in Egypt, and now God is actually giving them laws on how they, they should treat their servants. It's, it's, it's weird. Yeah. It's, these are the sort of verses that when people who are skeptical of the Bible uh, and of Christianity and, and faith, they look at this and say, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's unjust, you know? Yeah, at face value, it looks like God is somehow giving tacit approval to slavery and yeah. saying, yeah, I'm good with slavery, and here's how it should work with you. Yeah. 
And it, it's been used historically actually to defend the practice of slavery. So if you went before the Civil War, people in the South were looking at passages like this saying, hey, look, it's, it's okay, right? And so what do we do with this? Um, let, let me give a little bit of context to frame some of this. Um, I can't make it all easy, uh, but it, we can change our perspective on this a little bit. The, the first is uh, to highlight what Nikki just said. We have to remember that God has just freed Israel from slavery. So if you have been reading thus far, the last 20 chapters will tell you one thing loud and clear. God sees injustice and slavery in particular and hears the cries of the oppressed and wants to do something about it. So this, like, if any story in the Bible declares that, it's the Exodus story. So when you come into this, you've got to start by saying, I at least know this. Like, when you're looking at a passage, if it's hard, you, you say, what do I know from clearer, easier passages that I can bank on when I'm trying to figure out this more confusing one? So that's one thing you can bank on. God cares about slaves. He's proven that. The other thing, which is the thing that maybe won't be as obvious, and oftentimes a study Bible will help, but I'll be honest, uh, my NAV study Bible did not help me with that uh, on, on this one, so it just didn't have this information, is to know a little bit about the cultural context. And so I'm going to fill that in for you. Uh, this is, I'm breaking one of our rules on the podcast. I did a little bit of you know drawing from other background information that I knew, some books that I had, and so on. Um, but here's the important thing. When we imagine slavery, the first thing that comes to mind is what historians call New World slavery, Atlantic slavery. So, um, you know, what was going on in the South before the Civil War and so on. Um, that vision of slavery where people are kidnapped from one part of the world, taken to another place, and all of their agency, humanity is stripped from them, and they are forced to work against their will, is what we picture as slavery. And rightly, we recoil against that. We, we've learned that this is absolutely abhorrent. If you go back in history... The word slavery does not always mean exactly that. It does not always depict that picture. So even if you go back to the New Testament, when Jesus and Paul were around, slavery looked different then. If you go back to the Old Testament, slavery looked even different from that. So slavery doesn't mean one thing uh, in, in history. So in Old Testament times, the way slavery worked was this. Every household, every home was its own kind of family business. You had land, you grew crops, and so on. And God had made sure every family in Israel had land. But the problem was, what happens when you go into debt? What, what happens when your land doesn't produce well or your family business goes south? What do you do? Well, the provision for that in that culture was you would either sell your labor or you would sell your land. And so someone who's saying, we, we have gotten into debt, we've had bad years, our crops aren't producing. If they're saying, I need to provide for my family, they would go to another person and say, will you buy my labor? I will become your servant. And so when we read this passage and it says in verse two, if you buy a Hebrew servant, who are we buying that servant from? Most of the time, it is from the household, the family that's in need themselves. So it's not like a slave dealer out there with a market. It's your neighbor who's saying, I, I'm, I'm about to go under. Can I work for you? I will, I will give you my labor. You will get the work of my, my hands. And so um, what they would do is they would go and they would uh, indenture themselves. And the way this passage describes it, there, there would be a time limit on that. There would be six years, and then they would go free. And so that money would provide for their family and their debt. And then while they were servants, they would be cared for by that other household. They would have their food and so on provided for as they took part in that family. Now, that may still, still sound weird to us, but it's a very different picture when we're talking about 
um, what slavery in Israel would have looked like. Um, get your thoughts, reactions. Does that change anything uh, for this passage for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, verse two, if you buy a Hebrew servant, right, you just you just put that in its its proper context, which allows you to rethink about what you're going to read with all of the all of the different uh, laws and uh, different ways that this can play out that this is this is articulating. Yeah, that's really helpful. One one illustration that um, might be helpful is it's almost like uh, have you ever known someone who um, enlisted in the military? They were maybe, you know, they were, they're wondering what they're going to do in life. They're in a hard place. But they knew, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell the next five years of my life to the U.S. military, and I'm not going to have any say over where I live or what my assignment is or what I do. Um, they're going to run my life, but I'm going to get paid. I'm going to have, you know, uh, a place to stay, food to eat. Things are going to be figured out for me. This is not that unsimilar, uh, not, not that different from that. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good analogy. Mm-hmm. It is. It, one of the things that I was thinking when you were saying that is is I, I think it's interesting that like just as I was saying, you, you know, they've been just kind of uh, brought out of uh, slavery out of Egypt. And now they're, you know, God is saying, OK, if you go ahead and you 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 buy a Hebrew servant, um, maybe even they had servants as they were coming out of Egypt. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. But it's this idea of like rather than gaining servants and potentially treating them harshly like like the Israelites were treated in Egypt or treating them however they thought was best to treat them. It seems like God is is seeing that it would be good to instruct them on how people should be treated. Yeah. There's there's almost the assumption this is going to happen in in this ancient society. Yeah. It's really normal to, to have this happen. So given that that's going to happen, uh, rather than you to default to what you might do automatically or like the people around you, mm-hmm. let me tell you what to do in that sort of an arrangement. I think about the um, conversation that Jesus has in uh, the book of Matthew. He's talking with some uh, Pharisees there, and they're asking about uh, what, what's his take on divorce and when should someone be allowed to have a divorce. And one of the curious comments he makes as he's you know giving his answer is he said, um, you know, Moses gave the laws about divorce, like when divorce is allowed, and we won't get into the details of what those are, but he gave those as an, an accommodation for your hard heart. So it was basically, uh, he was saying, it's not supposed to be this way. There shouldn't be any divorce. Like marriages are meant to be for life, but knowing that in cultures and societies, things go wrong. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And there, there are responses to that. God said, given this, even though this shouldn't be this way, here are the ways to go about that so that you preserve dignity and you do things in the, in the right way. I think a similar sort of thing is going on with this. There are going to be times when people fall into debt and they need to say, I'm going to go sell myself out to work for somebody else. How do you do that in a way that doesn't look unjust and selfish the way the world would around you? Yeah, or not take advantage of someone's difficult situation, right? Yeah. To, to treat other people with the dignity that they deserve which is fundamentally different than the intentional oppression that was going on in Egypt. Yeah. I think we could say then that, that the Bible acknowledges the existence of slavery, but it never encourages it. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's let's look get into some of the details here. What yeah. are some of the things you've observed, even if they're things that you say, I'm not sure what to do with that? So one of the things that stuck out to me was the whole idea of a, a man selling his daughter as a servant. Like what's, you know... What was all that about back in the day? Yeah, so uh, the, the it's it's really tricky. So I, I let's just be honest. Like we sometimes you come across things in the Bible where you aren't sure exactly 
what to do with it. And, and it, it kind of, you know, it sticks with you. Okay. And this is, this is one of those ones that may be that case, but some things, uh, culturally that might put it in context, just like uh, a person, a, a man might say, I'm, I'm in debt. I'm going to sell my labor to someone else. He might say that about anybody in his household. They were a family business. So he might say, my son can work for you. You're going to pay for his time. Now, this is saying what happens if uh, you're, you do that with your daughter. Now, the complicating thing that almost makes it worse before it gets better is the fact that all marriages were arranged as well. And it's, it's pretty clear from the context that there's also the assumption that this daughter would go and not just be a servant for the six years that she would be a servant, but that she, there would also be an arranged marriage in, in the works there. And so the idea that um, she would go to a, a, a family and be married to someone in that family, and then at the end of six years be sent away, um, is in that culture a way that would create a, a truly helpless woman, that she would, she would now have been married and been through all that and, and now get sent off and no one's going to want to marry her after that. And, you know, the, the home that would have been providing for her in that culture isn't providing for her anymore. And so it's actually more of a protection for that woman who has now gotten into a situation that if she was released from would make her even worse than before. So that's part of it. Um, but there's still some weirdness to that, you know? We, we find it strange to have arranged marriages, and there's even a mention of multiple wives in there. Yep. Yeah, the, one of my observations is that while it's difficult to get behind all the laws, uh, if you ask the question, what is it that God cares about, that he's yeah. giving them these laws, right? It, it's not easy to get behind that, but if you if you try to get behind it, even if I can't explain every single law in this in this text, what what I observe is somehow God is putting things in place to protect people. Yeah, I may not understand every detail of it because I may not understand fully the the context, the historical context of how this all played itself out. Uh, but I I do observe somehow this is meant to protect all of these people that are in this scenario. Yeah, was it? thinking about that, one of the things we're supposed to do as we're reading the Bible is to look for repeating words. And so if you look at, uh, if you look through this passage, you see the word free pop up like six times, but then he also uses phrases like, he must let her be redeemed, or he must grant her the rights of a daughter, which in a sense kind of also represent this idea of freedom. Uh, and I, I think ultimately God's desire here is is freedom, but in the meantime, if this is going to happen, if if servitude is going to happen, God's desire is for people to be treated with dignity and respect. Yeah, I think I think a great way to think about it is if you start start assuming these things don't shock the original audience the way they do us. So we we're reacting to I can't believe they're slaves at all. I can't believe there are arranged marriages, multiple wives, like. Those things would not have surprised anybody who heard this the first time. They would have said, well, that's just the way the world works. So if you start with that and say, this is how the world is, and then hear the things that God says you're supposed to do in those situations, what would it sound like? It would not sound like, oh man, this is repressive and pulling things back. It would sound like you're actually pushing the envelope. You're pushing towards um, uh, this woman being treated as part of the family, not as a slave. You're, you're pushing towards someone who isn't going to be enslaved for the rest of their life. They're going to get set free for after six years. You're going to uh, not be treated like property. You're going to be protected. And so uh, there's a. It's actually pushing away from what we think it's doing, which it sounds restrictive. It's actually. Um, it's actually 
giving dignity to the people who are involved. Yeah, you know, the the analogy that just popped in my head it, for, for like a modern day scenario would be like a payday loan place yeah. or a pawn shop, right? Where, you know, you could put a law in place and you say, okay, you can charge interest, but you cannot charge so much interest that you have now op- oppressed that person and put them in a situation where they can't ever get out of the debt they find themselves in, right? So you're acknowledging that there are things that are going on in society and then you're putting a law in place to protect people from ending up in an oppressive situation. Yeah. All right, let's. Uh, uh, there's probably more details that we could dig into that we, we might not actually know the answers to, but um, I, I do think it, it's becoming a little bit clear. Let's let's go on to the the M in comma, which is message. Okay. Sometimes we do meditation first. Sometimes we do message. Let's do message first. How would you sum up a principle from this passage? Uh, what I was thinking was that based off of what I said before was just that God desire, God's desire is for all people to be treated with dignity and respect. Hmm. That one was in my head or, uh, closely connected to that would be God desires for all people to be free. Yeah. I had something similar that God desires people to be treated with dignity, even in situations where the world doesn't Hmm. treat them with dignity. I, I think that's uh, one of the one of the things that, as you read the rest of the laws, you should be looking for. Because this is not the first set of laws we're going to be reading it through the rest of the year. We're going to come to these sections again and again. Uh, even when it comes to slavery, when it, you see it come up, notice the things that God does. So uh, things that are very countercultural in those days. Slaves are included in the religious community. They took part in the Sabbath, which meant every like. Think about this. Do you think that Southern slaves got a day off every week? No, they were probably just worked constantly, right? That's that's the normal idea of a slave. They got to be a part of Sabbath rest. That, that was required. If they were injured, if if the if a, uh, a master um, uh, hurt them in a way that damaged their body, uh, they, they were as responsible as if that was someone else. They, they would go to court in the same way as if it was for a free person. Uh, if a runaway slave seeks asylum somewhere, they're supposed to be given that no matter where they came from. There are all sorts of very radical things in that culture that pushed toward dignity and freedom. And so you want to pay attention to that as we're, we're reading these laws coming up. All right, let's, let's go to meditation. Um, and, and we'll ask this question kind of pointed in the direction of application. Um, I want uh, to ask the question, where in your life are there people who are being treated with less dignity than they deserve as people made in the image of God? Where are people are being treated with less dignity than they deserve as people made in the image of God. 45 seconds. Pray through that. next letter and comma is A for application. 
what application you guys draw from this? You know, I'm actually thinking back to a lot of the stories so far in the past few months that we've been reading about in the Bible. Um, we've read through a lot of different New Testament and Old Testament books, but the one example that keeps coming up to me uh, is this idea that our selfish desires often lead us into sinful patterns, and then those sinful patterns often lead us to mistreat the people around us. And it, it could be because we're fearful of losing control or we're bent on getting what we want, and we forget about loving God and loving people. And so for me, I think I, I need to to be aware of relationships and people and ask, like, where, where could I be lacking in treating people with dignity and respect because of my selfish desires or what I consider to be, quote-unquote, my right? That's, that's what I'm leaning on here. Mm. Mine's convoluted, I think. I don't know quite how I got to mine, but uh, I, I'm thinking about Nikki's question. You know, if, if a father had to sell his daughter into slavery right? Say, you're going to go work for this family now because we we can't afford to not, you know, uh, go forward with this transaction. That means that it's possible that sometimes people find themselves less than free mm. and it's not their fault, right? They just find themselves in a situation. Now, some people, sometimes people find themselves in a situation, it is their fault. They need to own it and make some course correction. But sometimes fee- people find themselves in situations that are not their fault. And if there's anything simple that I can do, because none of these laws seem difficult. They all seem like very simple, practical parameters to put in place. If there's anything simple I could do to help somebody get out of a situation that is not their fault, God help me to see it uh, so that I can engage in it. Oh, that, was, that wasn't convoluted. I, I think no, that's... That's great. It's really good. I think um, paying attention, uh, I'm thinking about this, paying attention to situations where people are... Um, could easily be exploited. Yeah, so I guess it's the same same thing that you're talking about, Eric, where there are places where a life circumstances puts someone in uh, a set of bad options, you know, choices where uh, it's it's one difficult, you know, lousy choice or another. Um, being the sort of person who offers another option, you know, a way for them to uh, have dignity and to uh, get out of a situation, uh, even if it's going to be messy to get out of, in a way that that gives them honor and dignity as someone made in the image of God. Yeah, so let me brag on my wife here for a second, because it just reminded me of a story from the Wayback Machine. I Man, I think this was a long time ago in our marriage. We were selling a washer and dryer, and uh, a woman came to buy them from us, and she was, te- she was telling us she was... Uh, I don't remember all the details, but I know she was a single mom, and her story wasn't great in terms of how her ex-husband had treated her. And you could tell she didn't have a lot of money, uh, and my wife essentially pulls me aside and says, let's just give her the washer and dryer, right? And I think that's the kind of thing that I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. Like maybe this woman found herself in a situation that was not of her own doing um, and she needed a little bit of help to work her way out of the the situation. So in very practical ways, we can be doing simple things here and there to help people uh, out out of their predicament. Yeah, that's great. Good job, Deanne. (laughs) Good job, Eric's wife. Uh, no, that is, that's really interesting because I think there's two different ways to look at this, right? Is this us looking for people who are in tough situations and how can we act simply to help them get out of them? But then also, how can we make sure that we're treating people well with dignity and respect so that we're not, 
we're not creating these poor situations for them to be in. You know, I mean, we're, we're not affecting them in, in bad situations too. So a po- powerful, powerful truth there. All right, friends, thank you for joining us today. We hope uh, that you will join us again next Monday. Uh, in the meantime, if you are not following along with the reading plan, check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading along. Don't forget to write a review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week.